Well, for as long as I have lived in Australia, I have known that people here are really into homes and property. And I know this because there are several TV shows that have enough viewers to be produced every year. House Rules, The Block, and Grand Designs, just to name a few. And in addition to that, every evening news bulletin also has a segment on the property market. Well, this love for homes and property has only increased since the season of Corona last year. Last month, The Age reported in Renovation Nation that this year, Australians have spent a record $1 billion on homes each month. In Victoria, in March, over 3,000 additions and alterations in homes were approved. And the reasons for this recent boom are obvious. Lockdown means we spend more time at home and we see the things that we really dislike. Working from home means you need a good space where you can actually focus and work. And less holidays and going out means that there is more cash on hand to invest into the home. But if we can take this metaphor of, of, of the home and home alterations a bit further, there is another way that people renovate or restore their house. Institutions and organizations are often told to get your house in order. Last year, just a month into the pandemic, you might remember when this all was new, a scandal around our metro trains occurred. The Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Commission, or IBAC, uncovered that an executive at Metro Trains was receiving cash payments from the company TransClean. Because of this, that executive covered up for the company while they failed to disinfect our trains properly or even at all. It went so far that when a new cleaning product was threatening to cut the hours of labor for the cleaning company, the co-owner of that company attempted to get cleaners to contaminate the trains by picking tissues out of the bin and wiping the surfaces of the train with it, and even suggesting to get a homeless man to sit in the train and contaminate it. And so at a hearing where all this was uncovered, the Metro Trains executives were told and rebuked to get their house in order. Well, today we continue reading through Micah and his challenge to God's people in Judah to get their house in order. As we will hear in our passage, and as we already have heard, the whole house needs a renovation. The prophets speak lies and lead astray, the rulers are corrupt, and everyone presumes upon God's mercy. Micah warns the nation that unless they repent, a major demolition is coming. But as with all renovations, so also with God's judgment. When something is torn down, something better is set up. Although the nation and the people are corrupt, 
God will get his house in order, and God's house will rule. Well, our reading begins with God taking the prophets to task. Instead of speaking the truth and keeping the people accountable to their covenant, their relationship with God, these prophets were leading the people astray. Their message depends entirely upon what will profit them. Micah says, They proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. In other words, what comes out of their mouths depends on what is put in them. Instead of being prophets and leading people towards God and towards the truth, they lead people astray. They only speak what will benefit them. And so God's response to them, Therefore night will come over you without visions and darkness, without divination. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. God will silence these prophets and leave them without his word in darkness. A prophet without a word from God is as useless as a teacher who cannot teach or a driving instructor who cannot drive. But God is gracious. While he tears down these false prophets, he raises up true prophets like Micah himself. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. While the other prophets are empty and left in darkness, Micah is full of the Spirit of the Lord to exercise his ministry with justice and with power. And what he does in this Spirit-filled power is confront people in their sin. If you ever ask yourself, how does the Spirit move in someone's life? How does the Spirit move in my life? And how is the Spirit active in church? Here it is. The Spirit convicts of sin and brings darkness to light. This is why we Christians always confess our sins, and we do it whenever we gather together in church in the presence of the Spirit. This is quite different to our culture. In our culture, it's quite common for us and for our leaders whenever we want to denounce something, to say that it's un-Australian. John Howard was doing this in the 80s, and ScoMo did it just last year when panic buying was all the rage. We like to tell ourselves, this is not who we are. But for Christians, for those who have been impacted by the Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that all are under the power of sin. And whenever we confess, we acknowledge that this is exactly who we are. And it's a joy to do this. It's a joy because we don't have to pretend we are something we are not. And this is good news for us, especially now as we are in lockdown 4.1. Isolation is hard. Work colleagues might be more intense. Homeschooling is a challenge, and we probably snap and break more easily 
reverting to old habits that we know are destructive. But confession is a gift. We don't have to pretend. God loves us too much not to convict us. And so this week, whenever we fail, whenever we sin and fall short, and we are confronted by our own wrongdoings, confess to God and give thanks that his Holy Spirit is powerfully working in you. And give thanks that you don't have to pretend. Well, from verse 9, Micah turns to all the leaders in Israel, civil and religious, and he rebukes them for their many sins. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. The whole house is corrupted by greed and the love of money, and as a result, justice is despised and distorted. But what makes these evils even worse is that the same people look around at their circumstances and they presume to enjoy God's favor and blessing. Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. In Micah's day, Jerusalem was wealthy. The people were circumcised as a sign of their covenant, their relationship with God, and in the middle of Jerusalem stood the temple, the visible sign of God's promise to live there forever. Looking at the outside of the house, everything was great. But Micah points out that the reality is quite different. On the inside of the house, mold is growing and it is toxic. And as a result, something radical will happen. In verse 12, Micah gives one of the most damning predictions in all of the book. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. The house is so corrupted, it has to be demolished. This was something inconceivable for Micah's audience, a claim almost blasphemous. And yet we know from history that it happened and Jerusalem fell. Well, at the start of last year, no one could have guessed what would come for our city. Melbourne was one of the most livable cities in the world, boasting the finest shopping, food, sports, and arts. And then, within just one year, our city is now the lockdown capital, characterized by empty streets, disappointment, closed businesses, and poor mental health. In the history of Israel, God's people always became unfaithful in prosperity and success. And it's only after judgment that they wake up and return to the Lord. Now that we are today again in the trial of a lockdown, after enjoying many months of freedom, we are in a unique position to reflect on how we have used our freedom, how we have done in our times of prosperity. Since the last lockdown finished until this one, 
Where have we put God? Have we loved him with all our hearts? Did we put him first in everything, regularly attending church, reading his word, meeting with his people? Or did we, like the people of Jerusalem, look on our nice circumstances and presume upon him? These are the questions that God is putting to us this morning through the prophet Micah. And they might make us uncomfortable and they might convict us. But if anyone is feeling this way, remember, the Holy Spirit convicts us precisely because he loves us. He tears down the faulty rooms of our hearts in order to build up something better in order to build up rooms more spacious for God himself. Remember, it's through our trust, our faith, our belief in Christ, that we already belong to God's family. And the convictions that we might feel throughout life are simply God's means of calling us closer to him again, to greater intimacy. Well, while chapter 3 ends on a dark and gloomy note, Chapter 4 opens and is sustained with incredible hope. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. We were just told that God's house will end up as rubble. But now, suddenly, God promises that his house and the mountain upon which it stands will become the highest mountain, supreme over all things. And because of this, nations and peoples will flock to Mount Zion and acknowledge God as the one true God. Unlike the priests and prophets of Micah's day, these people will not turn to God for a selfish prophet. No, they will go freely because they love God want to be instructed by him and walk in his paths. As with so many Old Testament prophecies, this one is partly fulfilled already. On this very day, Sunday, people from all nations everywhere journey to the heavenly Mount Zion to worship Jesus, the one true God who is supreme over all things. Christians all over the world gather this morning to be taught his ways, to walk in his paths, and to love the name above every name. And it's through the gospel, the message of Jesus, that Christians everywhere forgive their wrongdoers, trying to walk the way of forgiveness, beating their swords into plowshares, and bringing peace to their neighborhoods. At the same time, this prophecy still yet remains to be fulfilled. We still await the day when Jesus returns to earth to set up the kingdom of God fully and to establish peace that cannot be broken, where literally no nation will wage war against the nation. This promise of chapter 4 was a distant reality from Micah's own day, where, as we heard, corruption false prophets, and abusing God was all too common. For us today as well, the promise of chapter 4 is far removed, as we are all confined to our homes. 
So how can we know all this will come true? Well, we can know it because of a few words at the ends of verse 4. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. Nowadays, we are again confined to our homes, waiting for the time of the press conference, and then we all gather at the congregation of the acting premier, where we hear him and hopefully hear him preach the good news that the lockdown is finished and we receive salvation from our collective sins of failing to follow all the measures. But the acting premier's words are not certain and he is a mortal. And last year we have experienced many disappointments of being told one thing and then something else happening. But this morning we deal with God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. He is not a mortal and his words do not fail. And so his promise of a renewed earth, of a global peace that cannot be broken, of a whole world that loves and seeks God, these are true and firm words. They are words spoken by the one who created all things by speaking them into existence. They are spoken by the one who gave his only son to become one of us and to die for us. And so this morning we can be assured that God will get his house in order and he will see to it that God's house rules. Amen.